In order to understand the idea of the, the, the Makkas and the second major theme of, of, of Pesach, is, uh, we have to have a, a, just a short introductory uh, presentation. And that is that the, the nature of man and his relationship with the Sotan changed bef- after the Chet of Adam Rishon. In other words, before the Chet of Adam Rishon, the Sotan, the Yitzhahara, who was represented by the Nochash, was external to man. And it was his job to entice, to mafata man to do the sin. Man listened to him. And of course brought death into himself and into the entire world. Therefore it was decided that because man listened to the Satan, man would have two jobs. Originally his job was to understand that God was the source of all creation. He would have to reject the Satan's advice and come to the conclusion that God is the source of all being. However, since he listened to the Satan, what was then established was that man would now have to not only understand who God was, but he would have to destroy the Satan. In other words, since you listen to the Satan, you and he must now contend with each other. You must reject the advice of the Satan. You must destroy the Satan. Not only to realize who God is, but you must reject the advice of the Satan. In other words, you listen to him, now your battle will be. Now the purpose is to eradicate evil not only to eradicate ignorance in terms of what your understanding of God is but also to eradicate evil and what that means is that the Rabbanishim changed the nature of the relationship between man and the Satan until now the Satan as represented by the snake had his own uh, plug-in so to speak to the Rabbanishim now we know God, we exist all continuously because we all derive our power from God the Satan does the same thing. He exists because God wills him to be. What the Rabbanishim did is now is he made it that there would be one power source. In other words, there would be one source that would enable a person to exist, a being to exist. And both the Satan and the Jews are tied into that one source. Which meant, therefore, that if the, if the Jews do appropriate actions, then the Sutton does not have access to that power source. However, if the Jews do inappropriate actions, then the Sutton is the one that takes the power source and not the Jews. In other words, Jews and the Sutton became rivals for existence. Both are locked into the same power source, the same plug. It's almost like you have a pipe of water and you can only water one, you can only uh, do one thing with that pipe. You can either drink from that pipe, or you can, let's say, uh, water the ground with that pipe. You can't do both. There's only uh, enough water really for one in that sense. If you take the water, then the ground starves. And the ground takes the water, then you starve. It's the same idea. There is a certain amount of kedusha that flows from God. First, it goes to the Jews to the each individual Jew. If he does appropriate actions, then he keeps that power source to himself. And the Sutton who is connected to the same power source diminishes and eventually dies. If, however, man does inappropriate actions, then the Sutton is usurps that power, that Kedusha, and takes it from himself. And then it is the Jews, of course, that suffer. That is what the Rosham did. 
Now, it's a long, elaborate uh, idea, which I'm not going to go into. But you have to know primarily these ideas. That we are in a life-to-life battle with the Sutton. Literally. If we do the mitzvahs, if we remain righteous, he stops. He becomes depleted. He becomes impoverished. If Jews sin, then he becomes strong. Because then the Kedusha goes to him and not to the Jews. That Kedusha that would go to the Jew because of the mitzvahs that they did instead goes to the Sutton. And he uses that power to promote more evil in the, in the Bria, in creation. And of course that's alluded to in the Torah. When the Bershom says, You will go on your belly. Which of course means that, Rashi says that the Sutton used to have legs and God took away the legs. Well that means that the Sutton used to be able to stand on its own. It used to have its own power source, its own source of Kedusha. And what God did is he chopped its legs off. It no more can stand on its own. It is almost, it, it needs support from the ground. Then the Rebbe said, after he said, the Rebbe said, the Rebbe said, you will eat dirt. And what that means is you can only survive from sin, which is dirt. You can only survive if you eat the dirt of the Jews. In other words, if you get the Jews to sin, then you take their power from them. That's offer toichal. You can eat the dirt. Now, obviously, if he no more has his own power source because he has no legs, that's how it's alluded to in the Torah. And if he's got, a, if the only way he can survive is to eat the dirt, which means the chatoim of Jews, well, what's going to result between he and the, and, and the Jews? There's going to be an enormous amount of rivalry and hatred. So that's what it says next in Brachus: the evil oshes bein chov and I will place tremendous enmity or hatred between you two. Now the question is, why do we hate the Sutton and why does he hate us? And the answer is, of course, because we're both competitors for the same nourishment, for the same unique, for the same nourishment. That's why there's hostility. And of course, if there's hostility, what eventually will result is, of course, battle. We will battle him and he will battle us. So the Torah follows and says, And he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. See, it's a perfect logical progression in terms of what really happened to the Sutton. Therefore, what Rabbi Hashem did is a Sutton now relates to man in the sense that he is a rival of man. Both man, or as today Jews, and the Sutton rival with each other for that source of Yenika, that power source, that Kedusha, that comes from the Hashem. Now, therefore, we now can return to Egypt once we have that, that uh, understanding. The truth is that we were mankind sinned for 2,000 years. Now, at that 2,000 years, so the Sutton was deriving an enormous amount of power. That's why he was so strong, he was able to make man sin. That's why he had such a slocha, success, in making man sin. When it came to the, by the time the Jews got to Egypt, where was most of the power? in terms of which nation represented the Sutton the most, which was his principal agent, and the answer is Egypt. Most of the sparks of holiness, that's called Nitzitzis, most of the power that the Sutton got was manifest in Egypt. Egypt was the showcase of the Sutton. Egypt was the most powerful nation on earth. It was in all ways, culturally, intellectually, and so on, it was the most, the greatest nation on earth at that time. It was the showpiece of the Sutton. The Nitzitzis, 
the sparks of Kedusha lay in Egypt. Therefore Egypt was the Bechor of the Satan. Egypt was the firstborn because it had the sparks from the Satan. It was the principal agent of the Satan. And we know that the Bechor, the firstborn, is the bearer of religion. He is the one who is the priest. Egypt was the priest of the Satan. Egypt was the bearer of the religion of, uh, 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 of, the, of the Satan. In fact, the, the interesting proof of that is, do you know what the major name of the, ma- the name of the major god in Egypt? Amun-Ra. Famous name. He's a sun deity. Amun-Ra was the most famous deity in Egypt. And it's interesting, Amun in Hebrew means uh, um, a master worker. Ra, the master worker of evil. They worshipped what they called Amun-Ra. But if you look at Amun-Ra and you spell it out in Hebrew, it's Amoin. Amoin means a master worker. Umnus comes from that. School craftsmanship. Amoin means a master worker and Ra means evil. In other words, they worshipped Amun-Ra, the master worker of evil. And who was that? The Satan. The very name that they called their god in Egyptian means the master worker of evil. It's interesting that the, the name of the, their god, their deity, in Hebrew is translated the master worker of evil, which is a Satan. Therefore, <clears throat> they were the principal agents. They had the Nitzitzis of Kedusha. They had the power that the Satan had, and it was manifest in Egypt. Therefore, they were the Bechor. They were the firstborn, because they were the bearers of the doctrine of the existential levels of evil. And as I said before, all four manifest in Egypt. When the Jews <clears throat> labored in Egypt, when they reduced and impoverished the Klippah, what happened? The truth is what they did <clears throat> is that <clears throat> because of the Avodah, they took out the Kedusha from Egypt. What they did is they starved the Satan because of the Shibud, the servitude that they had in Egypt. Because of the fact that they remain righteous in certain ways, and because of the persecution, the Inuyim, for so many years, what happened is they destroyed or they removed all the Kedusha that the Sultan had. He was starving. He was impoverished. I had mentioned that Yosef, if you recall, he went into Egypt to do part of the job of Esav, which is to battle Egypt, which at that time already was the Bechor, the firstborn of the Sultan. And the, the, the objective of that, of course, was that Yosef should remain righteous in Egypt. And the truth is that Yosef did accomplish his task because that was the famine in Egypt. The famine in Egypt wasn't an, an incident which had nothing to do with Yosef. Yosef caused the famine. In other words, by the avoid of Yosef, by withstanding evil, what he did is he impoverished the Sultan in a great way. Now the manifestation of a starving Sultan is a starving Egypt. And that's exactly why Egypt starved. So it's interesting to note that the very famine which brought Yosef out of Egypt because he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh because of an impending famine, the, the famine which brought Yosef out of Egypt was actually caused by Yosef because the famine in Egypt is the manifestation of the starving Satan. And that is the Avodah, that was the Avodah of Yosef. 
In any case, the avoid of the Jews after Yiskat finished with Egypt, the Jews now trounced on the Egyptians with their avoidum, and they really starved the Sutton. Now what happened therefore is that <clears throat> since the Sutton has starved, his entire power base is shriveled. Now it's interesting to note that just like in the side of holiness there are ten, ten emanations. In other words, the world exists through ten emanations. The Sutton also has ten emanations. It's Zeluma Zebolakim, that God Osolakim, that God created one world exactly like the other. Each it corresponds. In other words, there are ten spheres, ten emanations in the world of Kedusha and four worlds. There are ten emanations in the world of evil and four worlds, four clitus. And the head of the world, the Sitrit Kedusha, of course, is God. And the the opposing member of God in the world of evil, of course, is a Sutton. Not that Sutton is a god, but he occupies the same major head that God does in the Sitrit Kedusha. That's how exact it almost is. So when the Jews were Ovid Mitzrayim and they usurped, they took back all the Nitzitzis, all the holiness, the power base from Egypt, Egypt was starved. Egypt had nothing left. And that was Pharaoh's mistake. What happened is that the spheres of Tumor were depleted because the spheres are the conduit that gives the Tumor the, uh, the uh, forces of evil their power. What happened is the spheres of Kedusha, the emanations of God in the holy side were now mesukon, were now fixed because they had all the holiness back. Therefore, when Moshe Rabbeinu came to Parai and they had that sign, remember the first sign was the mater, the staff became a snake and then it became back a staff. Well, the mater, of course, is a staff of God. It indicates holiness. Moshe indicated to Parai Paro said, who is God that I should listen to him? We have Kishof, and Kishof is really bankrolled. It is powered by the Sutton. So Paro said to Moshe, who are you? I don't know any God. I have Kishof. You know, we recognize a spiritual entity that can actually power magic. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to Paro, he said, you're making a mistake. That was until now. But right now, you're making a big mistake. You have no more power. The power of Egypt is gone. <clears throat> the power that you have in Kishif is gone. Now it is, has gone back to the Jews. In other words, what he was telling him, and that was a sign of the uh, rod turning to the snake, the Mater, which is a sign of God, turned to the snake, which is Zelumazer. In other words, the, 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 the Mater turned to a snake and the snake turned back into a mater. In other words, you thought originally the mater, the staff of God, the holiness of God, the Kedusha, went back to the Sutton. But now it went back to the Rabbani Shlom, and now you have nothing. Well, you think you have Kishof, a snake, you have nothing. Now we have the power, because the Jews have succeeded in restoring the, or rather removing the Zoyamor to deplete Egypt from its power. Now, once the spheres of the Sutton are depleted, then the Oilomas, the four existential worlds, also are what they call kaput. Um, <clears throat> therefore, this is what Moshe told Pari, Beremes, in terms of that matter. Okay? Therefore, Moshe said, You are wrong. 
our spheres, all the Kedushas, back to our emanations, and it is we who have the power. Now, what happens when spheres have a tikkun, when the power flows back to the Jews? Well, what happens is what's called the Ten Makas. And now you are going to see a fascinating study. You are going to see that the Esamakas are really the transformation of the spheres. Not only that, but the ten plagues, the ten beatings of Egypt correspond to the ten sayings that the world was created, the Asura Mamoros. The world was created via spheres or the emanations of God. That manifested itself in ten Mamorum, ten statements of God in Bratius. Chazal tell us that the world was created with ten statements. Those ten statements really are a manifestation of the spheres. Those ten statements reversed became the Makas. In other words, when the spheres are corrected, what happens is that the, the ten sayings that created the world is now reversed in terms of the Egyptians and it becomes Makas beatings instead of Marmoris, which we will now go through. And of course, as a result of that, because the Jews had depleted Egypt, restored the power of their own spheres, their own emanations, and not only that, but brought on the Egyptians the reversals of the the, uh, the Mamoris, the statements that the world was created. They merited the Ten Commandments, and you will know you will notice also that each commandment is mechuvan, corresponds to a plague, a sphera, and one of the Ten Sayings of God. And that is next what we want to do. I want to show, I want to go through this forty piece because there's ten times four. I want to show you each plague, how it relates to each maka, I mean each uh, maima, how it relates to each sphera, and how it relates to the Sarasadibus. And it's really fascinating to look at. Okay, now, <clears throat> Stephen, I'm going to sh show you now the correspondence, the incredible correspondence between the makas and the Asura Morris and the ten statements, the ten expressions that God used to create the world. Then we will see how they relate to the Aserus Adibris and the Spheres. I'm not going to spend much time on the Spheres because that's not really for this year. What's much more instructive, of course, is the other three. This is what the ten Makas really are. These are not arbitrary. Why are there ten? Why are there this form? That is why. Because when the Spheres, when the emanations of God are corrected, when the Kedusha flows to the Jews, to the side of holiness, then the reversal of that to the nation which represents the Sutton takes the beating in the form of a sphere reversed. That's the incredible part about it. It's like when a Frankenstein is unleashed, you know, like it's almost like nuclear power can be used for good, but when it's unleashed, it, the same thing can be used for terrible destruction. When you use Kedusha for evil, if it goes back to, uh, to Toiv, then when it's unleashed against evil, it reverses itself and wipes them out in almost the same manner, the same idea. It's really a beautiful um, uh, um, comparison. And that is really what the Sayyid Pnimi, what the true internal secret of the Makas are. It's really the spheres blasting the Mitzrayim. That's really what it is. And as such, it's the same idea as the Asurma Moros, the ten creations that God created the world, and therefore Jews merited the Ten Commandments. 
And we know that in the Ten Commandments is the entire Tayyad Mitzvah. We know that the 613 Mitzvahs are really marumas in the Ten Commandments. Because that's sort of like Rav Sajigoyen has a whole, uh, um, I think it's a poem or whatever, you know, describing how all 613 Mitzvahs really emanate from the Asur Sadevus, the Ten Commandments. In any case, let us see what happens. Remember, which is important, that what Moshe Rabbeinu was demonstrating for the entire year that the Makas hit Parad is that the Nochosh turned back to the Mate. And that's the secret of that first sign. That was the first sign he showed Paroi. Then began Dam, Tzvadea, right blood, frog, and so on. What he showed him is that you're making a mistake, Paroi, that the Nitzitzis, the holiness that you people had as a result of being the firstborn, the bearers of the religion of the Sotan, Amun Ra, literally mean, which means the master worker of evil, has now gone back to the Jews because of the avoid of the Jews. Therefore, you have nothing left. You have no power. You have no more creepers left. Therefore, everything fell apart in Egypt. The, the, the ten spheres of evil fell apart. The, the creepers, the four existential worlds of the creeper also fell apart. <clears throat> now, how's it, how does it go? Well, we know that the first plague was blood. Dumb. So let's begin from the, that side. We'll begin from the order of the plagues. Now, believe it or not, what God did is first he brought Dam, the first plague, which is really the last sphera. It was he gave them a chance before he blew them all apart. He started at the lowest level. Okay? Now, Dam. Okay? Now, what is Dam? Dam is blood. What was the miracle? What was the plague? The plague was that water... Water turned to blood. What did the Bonshim indicate to Parai, to the world? What is water? Water is the major nutrient source of the entire world. Without, you can exist, last for, without food, for eating for a long time, but you can't last more than a day or two without water. Water is the essential nutrient of the world. What did the Bonshim show? that I control the entire survival condition, the entire environment of man, because I can control water. I will take water and make it out water, not water. Not only that, but I also control the internal environment of man. What is that which brings all the nutrients to all the cells? Blood. So what the Russian showed by taking water and turning it to blood is that he controls water, the external environment, of the world, the survival conditions of all living forms, and by turning into blood, he showed that he can turn the internal environment, the nutrient source, blood, which brings, of course, the nutrients to all the cells. Okay? That is the idea of water. In other words, God was Megala, revealed to Egypt that God controls the entire environment, the nutrient source, the survival conditions of all life forms both externally and internally. That corresponds to the last maima, and the last expression that God used to create was when he said, And these shall be to you for food, when he addresses man. He said, And all the herbs of the field, And these shall be to you for food. 
In other words, what God, when he was creating the world, said, he who is in control of all the food was given dominion or permission for man to eat from the world. Well, that's the last maima, the last expression. And this shall be to you for food. That corresponds to the maka of dam, water going into blood, which is also the whole concept that God controls, the survival conditions of the world, the food source of the world. It's actually the same thing when you think about it. Now, as a result of that, that represents the sphere of Malchus, which is really the sphere that gave rise to the entire world, the entire environment. That was Malchus. And the commandment that the Jews merited as a result of that is the last commandment of uh, the Ten Commandments, which is Loisachmoid, you shall not desire. And of course, you shall not desire refers to what? Man's externals, the entire environment of the world. Do not desire somebody else's car, somebody else's house, the externals. Notice, God gave the, one of the, the last commandment of the Aserah is a command which corresponds to, of course, Therefore, we have these four. The Makkah was water changing to blood, so water became not water. So therefore God controls the survival conditions of all life forms. And it became blood, which means he controls the conditions of all internal environment. Okay? The fact that he could take water and make it not water, and he could make blood from whatever he wants. He controls the entire outside environment, the survival conditions of all life forms. That corresponds to the uh, tenth uh, a, a creative expression which is and all these herbs shall be to you for food which gives man the permission to use, to engage in uh, eating, you know, that's the environmental statement by God that corresponds to the sphere of Malchus which is where the entire world was created from and that corresponds to the commandment concerning the environment the world do not desire somebody else's environment somebody else's possessions, his survival conditions. Stay away from it. See? One corresponds to the other. Remember, a commandment, the Ten Commandments, were mitzvahs given concerning the uh, Ten Expressions, the Ten Spheres, or the Ten Makas. Well, let's, let's move on. That's the first Maka. The second Maka is Svardea, frogs. There was this big frog coming down the road. As the Medrash says, and the Egyptians took a look at this huge frog and they tried to chop it up and of course from out of it sprang 1,400 billion frogs, right? An enormous amount of frogs and uh, it, there was enough frogs for the entire land of Egypt. What does the frog teach us? <clears throat> what kind of maka was that? Well, that shows that the Rabbanishram rules all creatures. In general, it's a statement that God rules all creatures and he directs the uh, the path that they should take if he wants them to jump in the ovens if he wants them to jump into the people into their clothing and so on they move by the order of God so the Tzavadeh indicate <coughs> that the Rabbani Shalom controls in general creations in other words <coughs> that God has dominion in general over all species now the 
creative expression that God used, the ninth one, was V'yirdu B'gasayom. God has given permission for man to have dominion over the world, over the creatures of the world. See? Tzvadeh means God controls all creatures. And God says to man, V'yirdu B'gasayom, and they shall rule over the fish of the sea. He is giving them permission <coughs> to have dominion over the creatures. Because, of course, he really is the master. So the, the ninth creative expression corresponds to the, to the uh, second plague. Because I remember that the plagues are in descending order from the creative expression. Okay? Because the Rebunshim is giving the Egypt a chance to do tshuva. So he starts from the last creative expression, which is the easiest to see, to the most powerful, which is the first, which we'll get to. Okay, so the first marker corresponds to the last creative expression, the second marker corresponds to the uh, ninth creative expression, and so on. <coughs> now, in terms of Sphira, that represents Sphira of Yesoid. And the Sphira of Yesoid, of course, the, the fundamental idea of Yesoid. Now, what is the, the, the Yesoid, the power of Yesoid, or the Sphira of Yesoid, of course, the foundation of the world is what? is that man has the power to massacre creation, to bring a tikkun to creation, to megala the yichud of God. The asoid of creation is the gil of the yichud of the Rabbani Shalom, that man has the power to massacre creation and to reveal that yichud. And of course, corresponding to that, Niyaseras Adibra is, is Leisane, do not testify falsely. Why? Because in order for man to uh, bring a tikkun to creation, to reveal the oneness of God, he must testify to the oneness of God. Do not testify falsely. Do not say, do not testify falsely that there is more than one God or whatever. So therefore, we see that Tzvadeh, which is a second marker, corresponds to the ninth creative expression, which corresponds to the Yisoyed, the Sphere of Yisoyed, which corresponds to Leisane in the Aser Sedebrus. Because the sana means do not testify falsely, rather testify. In other words, God gave Jews a commandment regarding false testimony. Because what he wants is that they should testify to the yichud of God. Edis if you recall from previous tapes, the man has to testify to the oneness of God. That's why it says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekein Hashem Echod. Here is with the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And of course, the last letter of, of Shema is Ayin, and the last letter of Echod is Dalad, Aid, right? Because you have to be a witness. What must you testify? That God is one, right? Aid. That's what it is. Therefore, Lusana, do not testify falsely. Of course, uh, is that uh, ten, uh, the Asersadibus that corresponds to uh, this, these ideas. Now, <laughs> let's go further. The third plague is kinum, lice. Now what God indicated in terms of lice is that he, cre he controls any creature, no matter what the size. This was a refinement of the giloi, of the lesson. In Tzavadeya is that he controls creatures. In kinum he controls any creature, no matter what the size. All life forms are, on, are, are in his power. Okay, no matter what the size. In fact, Kinnam, the Egyptians could not perform any magic against the Kinnam. And from then on, they were lost. Yeah. Because anything less than an Edzbar, <coughs> a Sa'ira, I should say, a less than a Bali, 
<coughs> magic has no control over. They lost control over that creature. Whereas God indicated in Kingdom that He controls any creature, no matter what the size. And of course, the creative expression, the creative expression to that is Tuitzehoorets, that the earth should bring forth creatures. No, it's Tuitzehoorets, the earth should bring forth creatures, which of course means uh, any animal, you know, any size animal. You know, the creative expression is that the Rabbanishim says that the earth bring forth creatures. And Kinem means, of course, that it control, controls creatures no matter what the size. Now, <coughs> the, uh, the uh, commandment, or rather the, uh, the uh, sphere that represents this is Hoid which is majesty, because the majesty of a king, of course, is the greatness of his possessions. And uh, the, the, all the possessions of God, of course, are reflected in all the myriad life forms. And the, in terms of the Aser Sedibris, the, uh, the Ten Commandments, that is Lysignoif, you cannot steal. Again, possessions, that was, don't, do not steal. In other words, therefore, Kinnim, which was the Makkah that came on the Egyptians, indicates that God controls all life forms no matter what size they're all his possessions and the creative expression was that the earth bring forth animals which of course means that that refers to the fact that God controls all animals they signal if do not steal any animal or any possession and the uh, Yisvir that corresponds to that of course is Hoid, the majesty which is reflected in possessions next the fourth maka was Oroiv, which of course is a diverse multitude of animals. So what God was showing the Egyptians there is that he controls not only all animals of all size, but all species of animals, no matter what the species. Because Oroiv is a mixed multitude of species. So Kinem shows that God controls animals no matter what the size, not only one species, but Oroiv shows that he controls animals in all species. And that was the Makkah that came, of course, to Egypt. And of course, the creative expression is Yishvitsu Hamayim Sheretz. Let the earth teem with insects. In other words, let the earth teem with millions of diverse species. See, Oroiv. Oroiv is diverse species. And Yishvitsu Hamayim, let the earth, let the water, I should say, teem... <coughs> with millions of different species uh, of insects and so on again is the creative expression which indicates the diversity of species okay now the sphere which corresponds to that is Netzach which is eternity and what that means the reason why the importance of each species being different is the concept that each person is connected to his own shirish his own root one species each shirish, each, I should say, each species has a different reason for existing. Each one is connected to its own shirish. Okay. <clears throat> and the, in the concept of the sphere of Netzach, eternity, is that each person is connected to his own specific shirish uh, and to know the shirish connection. And it's interesting that the, ten, the commandment that corresponds to that is Leisinoif, do not commit adultery. Stay within your wife, your species, means what belongs to you. Don't go out of your what's relegated to you. 
Lysinot means stay within your shurish, your species, so to speak, your combination. Don't go outside your combination. Okay? Because each species has its own shurish, its own reason for being. Do not stray from your partner and go to some other species, some other partner, in other words. So, Oroid, which is a mixed multitude, corresponds to Yishu Tzamayim, the creative expression of Yishu Tzamayim, which of course means that the, earth, the water will teem with millions of different species, which corresponds to, to Netzach, which corresponds to Loisinoif, do not commit adultery. Okay. Yehimayre, or rather Dever. Dever is what? Dever is plague. Right? What is God? Dever is plague, and that corresponds to Yehimayrus, let there be luminaries in the heavens. What's the connection? Right? What is, what is Dever, which is uh, plague, disease, right? Have to do with luminaries, the sun and the moon and all the stars in the heavens. Right? And the answer is very simple. What has God shown so far? The following lessons. God controls the environment, the survival conditions. That's dumb. He controls all creatures. That's Svadeya. He controls any size of the creatures, kinam. He controls any species of the creature, all species, which is Erev. But what about the macrocosm and the microcosm? The macrocosm is germs. I should say the microcosm are germs, plague. And the, ma- and the macrocosm is planets. In other words, those are beyond the reach of man. So God shows by that the fact that he can bring a plague, that he controls the microcosm. He controls the world of what? Of disease, the viruses, the bacteria. Why? Because he controls the microcosm. In other words, he controls the universes that exist beyond man's control. And in the case of the plague, it was Deva. In the case of creative expression, it was Imaoires. Let there be luminaries in the heavens. God, can cre- God has control over the microcosm, Deva, and the macrocosm, the luminaries, the stars. Both of which are out of the control of man. Each one is a giloy of the power of God. But as the makas go get worse and worse, the power, the statement, the revelation is greater. So we're up to where God says, I control all, the macro and the micro, besides the living world itself. The species and the diversity of species and the environment. See how God, Mamish, gives his message. And you, Mamish, find that the exact expressions... This is the creative expressions in creation, right? Now, in terms of uh, the Ma'iris, that corresponds, of course, in the Ten Commandments to Leisirtzach, you cannot kill. And that corresponds to uh, Rachamim in the spheres, or Tiferes in the spheres. Why? <coughs> Now, what that means, what that corresponds, of course, is the sphere of Rachmim, or Tiferes. Why? Because if God is in charge of the macro and the micro, no more is the Rebbeinu have dominion only over this world. But he's in charge of the macro and the micro, which of course means that he is in charge of the entire Bria, the macro and the micro, even that which is beyond man's control. That means that the Rebbeinu has dominion over all forces, which means that if he wants to suspend a force, he can do it. In other words, if din, judgment, justice, 
If the Sultan says so and so deserves to die, God says, No, I will have Rahmanus on him. I will suspend that judgment. Therefore the Ma'uris correspond to Tferis, the sphere of Tferis, which is a sphere of Rahmim, compassion. Because God controls the macrocosm, the entire spiritual world, therefore he can suspend the statements of prosecutions. So the sphere is Rahmim, which means he controls all uh, the he has dominion over all spiritual forces. And if uh, somebody, for instance, has to die, God can say, No, I will have mercy on him, he will not die. And therefore, the commandment which corresponds to this is Loisirtzach, you shall not kill. Do not kill, but give him a second chance. A second chance, of course, means Rahmim, Loisirtzach, do not kill him, do not terminate it. But give, give it a second chance, a second chance, and that is Rachmim, which corresponds to the macrocosm and the microcosm, Deva and Yehima Eris. Okay, now, the next, uh, the next uh, Maka was Shechin, boils. Boils erupted from the body of man. What that did is God showed, okay, I now Megala that I control everything. But Shechin, what does Shechin reveal? Shechin reveals that God controls, uh, God determines what causes what. Because what the Rebbe does is he determines what grows from what. I will show you that if I want, I can make your body grow shechin, boils. Which means that God determines cause and effect. I determine what happens, what grows from what. What grows from something, in other words, what is affected by what cause. That's what Shechin indicates. Until now we see that God controls the entire universe. Now we begin to see that He controls cause and effect. Shechin, it grows from the body. The body causes boils. And that corresponds to the creative expression called, of course, Tad Shehoretz. Let the earth give forth vegetation, growth. Because what is Tad Shehoretz? means God can control, He says what causes what. He says that the earth should cause to grow vegetation. God determines what the cause is, what the effect is, what grows from what. And Shechin, God says, I want boils to grow from man. Okay? Now, the corresponding, of course, uh, uh, commandment is Kabiris Respect your father and mother because you grew from them. They gave birth to you, didn't they? They are your cause. So God says, I will give you commandment concerning the concept of cause and effect. Your parents cause you to be, that's what generally parents do, right? Mm -hmm. They cause you to be, right? They grew, you grew from them, therefore honor the growth uh, cause. So it is a commandment which directly refers to growth, to the concept of cause and effect. And the sphera, uh, which... Uh, uh, is that is Gvura, Din. Why? Because Din is the concept of cause and effect. Because if you do not do appropriate actions, you cannot cause Kedusha. Man must create his own Oilam Haba, his own environment. And Gvura is that which does it. In other words, Gvura is the cause and effect phenomena. If you do A, B will result. If you don't do A, then B will not result. If you want Kedusha, you must work towards Kedusha. If not, not. That's what Gvura is. Gvura is a limitation on Kedusha to you, on holiness to you. You must earn it. So therefore we now see that Shechin, which is a Makkah, 
which says God controls what grows, what causes what, that corresponds to the creative expression, literally, of cause and effect. Tad let the earth give forth vegetation. Because God controls cause and effect. Which corresponds to Kabbalah Savicho, the commandment that respect your growth uh, factor, your cause factor, which corresponds to Gvura, which of course is the, the sphere that initiates the entire concept of cause and effect. Now, the next Maka is Borod. And Borod, we know, is what? Is hail, right? And what, 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 what God sh- uh, showed the Egyptians by Borod is that God can destroy the boundaries that exist between entities. Because what was hail? The hail that was then was fire and water. How can fire and water exist in the same entity? Because the Rebbeinu now is showing them that he controls even the boundary of the entities, the physical, the chemical, and so on boundaries of the entities. And that corresponds to Yukovu Hamayim, let the earth be gathered unto one spot. Boundaries. In other words, God separated the waters from above and below, and then from below he said, let the earth, the water gather unto one space and let the earth be seen. In other words, he created the oceans. Again, the earth was covered with water and now the water, the earth only had different regions where they had oceans and lakes. So that's Yikobo Mayim. God shows that he is the one who determines boundaries and borrowed, he violated the boundaries to punish the Egyptians. <clears throat> So therefore we see that this is what the boundary, the concept of boundaries, that God determines the boundary of entities. Now that corresponds to the Seres Adibris of Shabbos, because God created two entities, Shabbos and Choyal. He made a boundary between Shabbos, Kedusha, and Choyal. Again, in other words, he bounded two distinct entities. He said the waters should be divided, and you have oceans and land. Time should be divided into Kedusha and Choyal. That's the, so he gave a commandment in the Aserah Sedivus concerning uh, two different entities where he introduced boundaries. And the sphere, of course, is Chesed, because what God did, he says, because Chesed is the whole uh, basis of Oilam Habo. God created Oilam Habo, which is Chesed, and Oilam Hazeb. Okay? Oh. And uh, that, therefore the sphere is Chesed, which is, again, an entity of Chesed, which is uh, the, uh, in Oilam Habo. Shabbos and Choyl, two entities which are bounded. Hamavdil ben Kodesh the Choyl, the boundaries are different, which corresponds to Yukova Mayim, that the earth should be uh, separate from the uh, land, and of course, Borod, which means fire and water can actually act together. And this is what God showed the Egyptians, that I control the boundary of entities, just like I gave the creative expression that water should be separate from land. Therefore, you can have Shabbos separate from Choyon because Chesed or Ilam Habo is different from Ilam Hazer. Now, the next plague, the eighth plague is Arbe. And what was Arbe? Hundreds and hundreds of millions of locusts. An unbelievable amount of locusts. Okay? And what was God showing to the Egyptians in locusts? What he was showing is this interesting idea that God controlled every singular locust. All entities are under the dominion of God. Okay? <clears throat> In other words, what the Roshim showed him here is that the plurality and the multiplicity of all beings is under my shlita. There must have been at least 20 billion locusts because it says that the land was filled with locusts. It says the it 
In fact, there are many uh, disputes that were settled because of border disputes, because the locusts did not mm-hmm. go into other countries, you know. The, it says th- that the world will never see such a plague as this Arba, the locusts. How many locusts would it take to fill the land of Egypt? But it was more than that. It had to be blankets on blankets because it darkened the sky, you know. There must have been hundreds of billions of locusts. You know what the square mileage area of, of Egypt is? And everyone was filled with a one little bloke, uh, 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 grasshopper. You look, right? What does God show that, and that every locust, every grasshopper was under his shlita? What he shows there is that plurality of being is in all of it. He's totally under the dominion of God. And of course, what corresponds to that in the creative expression is the hierarchia. Let there be an expanse, a division. Because until then, there was one entity, one uh, there was only Mayim. The second day, Yehirakia is on the second day. Let there be a, div- uh, a division. God created the concept of period, separation. That's when he divided the waters, entities. And from the second day on, there was what's called Hester, or different entities. Multiplicity in creation started from the second day. And the first day, there was no multiplicity, which we'll see in a minute, in the, in the next marker. Okay, so therefore the Arba which indicated multiplicity, enormous multiplicity of being, the hundreds of billions of locusts, of grasshoppers that were on Egypt, indicates that God controls every single grasshopper. Therefore that's connected, that is a, in, um, corresponds to Yerukiah, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, because the concept of division of entities, of the beginning of multiplicity and plurality, started on the second day with the Hirakia. Okay? Now that is, of course, the creative expression. And of course, um, that corresponds to the, to the sphere of Bina. And what is Bina? To be, ma- to be b- ma- maven. To discern between this and that. Distinction. Multiplicity needs distinction. What's the difference between this entity and that entity? Bina is the faculty that man uses to discern between entities. So Bina is a sphero that gives rise, of course, the hierarchia, multiplicity, which gives rise to, of course, Arbe, the enormous amount of multiplicity of beings, which, of course, are all controlled by the Rebbe And the commandment that corresponds to that is Loisiso, you shall not use the name of God in vain. In other words, the name of God refers to God. Do not use it for any other being. Stay away from the multiplicity when you use God's name. There's only one God, there is no multiplicity of gods. The same concept. That in essence, the commandment is do not believe in multiplicity. Because God is Enid Mavadoi. There is only one God. Besides Him, nothing else exists. Do not use the name of God for any other deity. There are no many gods. There is no multiplicity in divinity. Because all is part of the divine. Same idea. Okay? Now, we are now, ne- we are now up to Choshech. Darkness. And what does God show here? That God controls. When you're in dark, what's missing? Light. Light. Well, what does that mean? means that you're missing reality perception. In other words, Chishik means that a person is lacking a perception of reality because there is darkness. Okay, so what Durbanishim showed people 
that he controls even your ability to perceive reality. Even what you perceive, he controls. And if he doesn't want you to perceive reality, you will not perceive reality. In other words, what he's saying is that he determines the awareness, the consciousness of beings, the perception of beings. That's how powerful he is. And of course, the creative expression was, as opposed to Choshech, darkness was, Yihior, let there be light. Interesting, huh? Mm -hmm. God said, let there be light. In other words, I will show you the true perception of reality. And of course, that light refers to Enig Muvadoi. That all was the Orishan, which you will know from the other tapes. That all refers to the Orishan, which is a perception, of course, that the entire Bria manifests or emanates from God. Therefore, Choshech is the Mako, that I control your perception, and I can blanket out your perception, and the, uh, and the, uh, the creative expression that God controls, if I can control your perception, I can also show you the right perception, which is Yehiyor, let it be light, not darkness. So it's mamish. One is mamish. One is literally the opposite of the other. And of course, in the in the in the uh, the Seres uh, Adibris, it's lo There should be no other gods before you. Why? Of course, because the hior let there be light means let everyone perceive that I am one. That there is no other being but God. And the commandment we have in the Ten Commandments is lo Let there be no other god before you. In other words, Yichud is the truth and do not believe in Loyia, in any other god, any other deity. And that corresponds to the sphere of Chochmah, which of course is true wisdom. And that's what it says, Bereshis Borlakim, Bechochmah Borlakim. That Chochmah, true wisdom, right? Bereshis Chochmah, Yeres Hashem, right? True wisdom is the understanding that there is no other god, which means that is the awe, that is the light. Because, by the way, the way we perceive that God is one is we, we perceive that there is nothing else. We perceive lo here. that's how we know God is one. The, the exact opposite. Okay, so that is the ninth makkah. And the tenth makkah, of course, is the crowning, the greatest revelation of God. And what was the tenth makkah? Makkah's Bechurus, that he slaughtered the Bechurus of Egypt, right? And what did that indicate? That I give existence. If I want, I take it away. I give life, which really means existence. God is a source of being, right? And that corresponds to the Maima, the creative expression, Bereshis Boralakim. In the beginning, God created. Source of all being. You know, what better expression corresponds to Makas Bechiris? God showed the Egyptians that He is the source of being. And the creative expression which corresponds to that is Bereshis Borakim. In the beginning God created. He is the source of all creation. And of course the commandment that corresponds to that is I am the Lord your God who took you out. I am God. And of course the sphere that corresponds to that is the greatest sphere of all which is Keser. The true royalty that God is King. He is. That's it. He's King. He is the king over everything. That's it. I, I, I went through it pretty quickly and rather wow. briefly, but um, uh, you know I, I had to do it this way. In any case, we now see how all, every makkah was a giloy, a revelation to the Egyptians. And by the way, at the same time as a revelation to the Egyptians, it was a revelation to the Jews. Mm. 
and okay. So in other words, to go very quickly, Dam just the marker. Dam shows God is controls all nutrients, the environment, the survival condition. Svadeya shows he controls all creatures. Kinam any size of creature, or of any species of creature. Deva, whether it be macrocosm or microcosm, the entire Bria. Shechin, he controls all growth, all that which gives rise to something else. That's cause and effect. Borod means, of course, that God establishes boundaries itself in beings. And, of course, Arba is God controls every, all entities, right? Multiplicity and plurality, all entities. Choshech, that he controls all perception. Consciousness, awareness, in Makas Bukhara's that God is existence itself. That is basically, we now have a, a tremendous understanding of why there were ten and why these ten. Because each ten was nothing more than a sphera that was unleashed against the Egyptians. Once the spheres of God in the holiness side became corrected, perfected, uh, um, rectified, the the lesson that each sphere taught the Egyptians was this. Connected every makkah, it was the lesson of each sphere, which of course is the lesson of all the ten creative expressions, which of course corresponds because Jews merited in restoring the tikkun of the spheres, they merited the ten commandments, which was a commandment concerning every single idea or concept revealed in the makkah and the mamoros. And of course, in the spheres. Very interesting. Okay, now, now that we understand what the ten makkas really were, is that they were the unleashing of the power of kedusha from the spheres of kedusha that were rectified, and the mak itself was a reverse message to the sphere itself. Okay, because the Jews had impoverished the sultan, they had impoverished all the clippers, and they took it back. So the mate, the stick, went to a snake, back to a stick. And of course, the crowning achievement of all the makas was the last one, makas pechurus. And the truth is that in makas pechurus, what did God do? God destroyed the firstborn of Egypt. Why? Well, before I say why, what he also did is he smashed all the idols. Rashi says that at the same time that the pechurus died, pechurim, right? All the idols of Egypt were smashed, except one. But all the idols of Egypt were smashed. Okay? Why? Because what, Maka, what Marcus Bechurst really meant is that what the Rebbeinu was saying is that I am existence and I will remove all of your life. You know, and who will I do that to? I will do it to the Bechurim. Why? Because they are the bearers of religion. They are the spiritual representatives of, of the Sutton. <clears throat> but since the Sutton has no more power, he has no more Kedusha, since he's dried up, therefore I will destroy the idols. I will destroy, and it was the Kedusha. And it was God now has, not that he has the power, but the Jews by suffering in Egypt and working in Egypt have impoverished the Sutton, making the entire Egypt and the Bechurim vulnerable to an assault by Kedusha itself. Therefore the firstborn died because they represented Egypt, which was the Bechur of the Sutton. The firstborn died and the idols were smashed. And at the exact same time, that's why God says, Who will become the Bechor? Bechori, my Bechori, Israel. 
Because now Jews became the Bechol, the firstborn. Why? Because the Kedush was back into Israel. So now Jews became the firstborn of what? Of the Kedusha, of the Nitzitzis, which were back into the dominion of Israel. So as opposed to the Bechorim, the firstborn of Egypt that died, Jews became the Bechor. And as opposed to the idols of Egypt that were smashed, God revealed himself. And the interesting thing about it is that you know how the Egyptians died? God says, I will bring one more plague when he speaks to Moshe. I will yet bring one more plague on Egypt. Okay? And the interesting thing about it is, why does that guy say, God, God should just say, I will bring another nega. What do you mean, Oid Nega Echod? I will bring one more plague. Because what it really means is, Oid Nega Echod, I will bring the plague of the one. I will reveal to them that I am one. And they will die because they will perceive my oneness. <clears throat> That's why when it says in the Pasuk, I need Yitzhi B'Seif Mitzrayim, in Pasha's boy, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. The Targum translate, I will go out, Ani is Golay. I will be revealed to the Egyptians. The way God killed Egyptians is by being Megala, who he is. Interesting. So therefore, when it says, I will go out into Egypt, I will reveal myself to the Egyptians. Because that's the last Sphira, Keser. That therefore, it's the last Makkah. They will see that Enoid Mavadoi, but they will not live to see it. They will die through the revelation itself. And that's what it means, Oid Nege Echod. I will now afflict them with the plague of one. Normally it's a tremendous chus. In their case it will be a death blow. To see that God is one will kill them. It will be a nega to them. Okay? And therefore, of course, the Egyptians, of course, uh, uh, died. Yeah. The truth is we've really covered a great deal of Egypt. I mean, we, we went through the gamut, right? We now understand what Egypt really was. And in terms of the entire history of man, what Egypt really was. And the idea of that is that Egypt was nothing more than a task that the Jews took over from Odom Horushan. Or rather, after Odom, there was, the, of course, the dominance of those clippers and the spheres of the Sotan. And it was a task of the Jews, of course, to undo these things. And that is really what the Jews were doing. They took this over, and that is why they went to Egypt. They went into Egypt, the land that was the principal agent of the Sultan, that had all the Kedusha of the Sultan in it, and that gave the power of success to Egypt. The land that had every existential state of evil in it. They went into it, suffered, and remained righteous, and they sucked out all the Kedusha from Egypt. They made it, they, they impoverished it, just like Yosef did when he created the famine. They did the same thing. And the Kedusha, once it was restored to Israel, turned back on the Egyptians and destroyed them with the exact counter-image of what they themselves had. And they realized this, actually, as they, as they were dying. And in the end, of course, Marcus Bechers, which finally killed them, of course, was the revelation that God is existence. Of course, that Hashem that I'm the Rebbeinu of course, that has taken you out of Egypt. And the Rebbeinu himself, of course, was Megala that to the Egyptians. Once we understand this, we now can understand a lot of the ideas 
that uh, that happened, or rather the mitzvahs that we performed. <coughs> Let's take a look at some of the questions I had asked before, and you will see why you, we now have all these mitzvahs. <coughs> why is there chometz? Well, we know why. What is exactly chometz? What does chometz represent? Chometz has three co components in it. It has water, flour, right? And it's fermented. It has leaven, yeast, correct? It's fermented. That represents man with the zoyamor. The water represents, the flour represents the guf. The water represents the neshama. And the leaven, the soor itself represents the zoyamor. Therefore, you are not allowed to eat chometz and Pesach. You cannot eat food which has zoyam in it because you do not have zoyamor. Therefore, it is forbidden to eat chometz. You must eat matzah because matzah is a food that has only flour and water. There is no soor. There's no zoyamor. Therefore, you must eat matzah. Matzah is a symbol of who you are. You're only in the shoma and guf. There is no zoyamor anymore because the Jews yanked it out of Egypt 3,300 years ago. Therefore, you can only eat matzah. Okay? Moro. Why do we eat moro? Because it was through the tremendous shibud, the persecution in Inuyim, that we removed the zoyamor. Therefore, we eat moro. Because that's how we got rid of the zoyamor. Why are there four curses? Well, the truth is why they're four curses. The reason why they're four curses is because they re represent the four expressions of Geula. The four expressions of redemption. <clears throat> the four expressions of redemption. In Vo'era it says, Vo'eitzisi, I will take you out. Vo'eitzalti, and I will rescue you. Vo'eitzalti, and I will redeem you. Vo'eitzalti, and I will take you. Vo'eitzalti, and I will bring you. What do these four, or rather five expressions refer to? The answer is you already know. Each expression refers to one clipper. The reason why God uses four or five, let's hold four. We'll see what the fifth one is. Why does God say four different ways? We'll hold the fifth for a minute. Four different lishonis of geula. Four different expressions that I will take you out and redeem you. Why? Because the Jews, right? have succeeded in removing all the four ilomas, the four worlds of the Klippah. So God says, because you remove the Zoyama, I will take you out of all four Klippahs. So, I will take you out of the Shibut, the bondage. Remember that was the first decree of Parai. Remember the four decrees of Parai correspond to the four existential states, or the four climates of evil. So, means I will take you out of Shibut. I will take you out of, out of bondage. That's the first klipa, this first existential world, first existential state of evil. Vehitzalti, I will save you from murder, because that was the second klipa, <coughs> where Parai murdered all the, uh, uh, the firstborn, the male firstborn, right? Vehitzalti, even the word Hatzala means from murder. I will save you, right? And that corresponds to the fact that there's all evil. Right? If you recall, we go out and I will take you, I will redeem you from the from that existential uh, evil system exploiting Jews. 
which of course of course refers to that that God that uh, power used to bathe in the blood of, uh, of of Jews that corresponds to Greece the rational framework in other words when evil is so pervasive that it has a framework when it exploits the toiv that's the third uh, the third existential uh, uh, world of the Klippa so the Goalti from that the I will take you from where you are spread all around the place because the fourth clip was Tahoim, right? Which was wrong, they're spread, we are spread all over the world now. So Vilokakti, even the words refer to the idea, and I will take you from where you are, spread out. Therefore the four expressions of redemption are really the fact that God says, I will redeem you from the Klippa, all four of them. That's why there are four expressions, because God took us out of the four Klippas. Okay? And that's why there are four curses. There are four cups to celebrate the fact that we have gone out of each clipper. We have been redeemed from four forces of evil, four existential states of evil, not one. Now you're going to ask me, what about Vehevesi? <clears throat> the fifth. And not only that, why is it that Elio, that says that we call that the Koshel Elio? You know, why do we, why do we call it the Koshel Elio? And the answer is really very simple. It's really murder, it's very simple. Because the truth is that man needs five things to get out of. Four is Ra. And the Jews did that. They left the Klippist. They left all the <clears throat> existential states of evil. All four. When they got out of Egypt. Okay? But man has a fifth task. Because man not only has to remove evil from himself. But he has to go from Geshem. Physicality. To Ruchni. To spirituality. The truth is man must do two uh, exits. Man must be redeemed twice, but the first one has four components. You must remove the Zoyama, man must remove evil from himself, that's Tahara. And the second thing, man must remove physicality from himself, Geshem, and become spiritual. That's called Ispashtis Kedusha. You see? And the fifth one, Vehevesi, and I will bring you to where, of course, God means there is Israel. I will bring you to the land Oilam Habo, which is of course Kedusha. That's Kuli Ruchni. Okay? And why is it we call Elio? Because Elio was one of the three people that changed his body. He became a Malach. His body changed from physical substance to spiritual. So we say that cup is the cup of Elio. Why? Because he reflects the symbolism of that cup. Just like he went from Geshem physical substance and he became a spiritual being, he became a Malach we too, that is the last redemption, we want to go from Geshem from the physical body, we want to become spiritual we want not only Tahara, we want to be not only removed from the Zoyama but we want to become spiritual also so the fifth cup is really, we don't drink because we did not go into spirituality in truth, the Jews only went out of the four Klippas but since they did not go into spirituality and that would have happened had the Chet Eagle not ensued, which is a Shia Fishwus, okay? But since that did not happen, the fifth cup, which should have happened, remains only the cup of Elijah, Elio. Because only he succeeded in going from physical being to a spiritual being. But we hold it there because we are looking forward to the day when we will also, of course, merit that. So now we understand why we have four cups. Because they refer to the four, the shonis of Gula, which of course are the four redemptions from the Zoyamor. And we understand why the fifth is because that's from Hispashtis Kedusha, 
That is the redemption from physicality to spirituality, which of course is symbolized by Eliyahu. Um, <clears throat> we also understand why Egypt is not considered an exile, because Egypt was the four exiles. Each of the four exiles is a separate clipper, therefore they are looked on as different than Egypt. But Egypt is not considered one of the four exiles because Egypt was the totality of all the four exiles. We also understand why there are ten plagues, why these ten, why there are four exiles. We understand why there was Kriya Samsef, which was the undoing of Noach. And by the way, according to Kabbalah, Moshe Rabbeinu was a Gilgal of Noach, which fits perfectly. Since he failed to rescue mankind and he brought the marble on them, he had to come back and massacre that, right? And take the Jews through the Tohoim. Undo the marble. Mama, I understand the, the significance that the, uh, according to Kabbalah, Moshe Rabbein was a Gilgal of Noach. Because he had to undo what he failed to do. He failed to save mankind, so mankind was devastated by the time, the flood. But, but as the second Gilgal, as Moshe Rabbein, he succeeded. He brought the Jews through the time. He split the sea because the Jews had been massacred in the Right? That's a little Kabbalistic. That's a little above there, but... You might as well know that too. Uh, <clears throat> okay. And by the way, as an aside, well, that's yeah, yeah, too much. Uh, we are now in the... Okay. There are three aspects of Mila. Cause, because the Ola, what is the Ola? When Adam Rishon did the Chet, he grew a foreskin. Because that represents the Zoyama on the physical body. But when we do the mitzvah of Mila, there are three mitzvahs attached. There's Mila, Pri, and Mitzitzah. Those correspond to the undoing of the three Klippas. Because the fourth clipper, which is the weakest nigga, becomes transformed to toiv. Anyway, that's an agav. Anyway, uh, now we also understand why we call it Zman Cheruseinu. Why, why is it the time of our freedom? Not because we left Egypt, because we removed the Zoyamar. That's why. Zman Cheruseinu is much more profound than people think it is. Because we removed the Zoyamar, therefore it is a time of our freedom. Freedom from enslavement by the Sultan and all his, his, his hosts. And that is why we call it Chag HaMatzois. Because Chag HaMatzois refers, of course, to the holiday of Matzois. Because Matzois is the state we reached. A state when we were just in the Shoma and Guf and there was no Erev. There was no combination of evil. There was no Zoyam of the... There was no... Um, Influence that the Sultan had on us. That's why it's called the Chag HaMatzois. And by the way, the difference between Matzois and Chometz is three. In other words, if you take Chometz, the Gematria, the numerical value of Chometz is three more than Matzah. Because the hay and the Ches. If you add it up, right? Yeah. If you, Chometz, right? In other words, Chometz is uh, <clears throat> three more than Matzah. In other words, in order to get to the level of Matzah, you have to remove the three clippers. Right? And convert the fourth into Tov. So therefore, Matzah is three less than, um, than, than, than in Chometz. And the same thing with Mitzvahs. Mitzvahs and Matzah is almost the same word. The only difference is a Vov. Right? <coughs> and what the Vov signifies, the, well, how does the Vov, vov look like a snake, doesn't it? In fact, in Al-Gechoin Choselech, the Vov in Bracious is big. The Vov, because the Vov indicates the Nochosh, the snake. In other words, if we do the mitzvahs, we remove the vav from the mitzvahs, and what does it become? Matzah. As a, you know, as an agav. Um, yeah. In any case, what I, what I, what I wanted to just uh, basically leave you is one idea. 
an important idea is the concept of uh, matzah a different idea which I heard from an Adam Choshev interesting idea because <clears throat> it says why did they eat matzah because the, the Egyptians didn't give them time to, uh, to uh, leaven their bread and therefore they had to leave what that s- simply says is don't delay <clears throat> in other words the Jews left Egypt because they would have fallen into the Memteshari Tumah the 49th level of impurity they would have fallen in had they remained even a, a day longer so <clears throat> the matzah symbolized in a certain way that <clears throat> when you are introduced to holiness when there's a possibility of getting out of the klipas get out and the matzah is what they ate as a result basically because they had to leave they didn't have time for it to ferment so they left so therefore the matzah indicates of course that when you eat matzah remember don't delay that when you approach with an ability to get out of Tumor, leave it right away. And I want to mention also another idea. Is It's interesting that who is the one basically who caused that event and that the Jews didn't have time? Who was rushing them out? The Egyptians. Mm-hmm. In other words, the Egyptians forced the Jews to eat matzah. Why? Because since the Egyptians are the ones who persecuted the Jews and they enabled the Jews to remove the Zoyama because the Jews had to withstand the persecutions of the Egyptians. Therefore, the Egyptians were the cause for the Jews eating matzah itself. They who caused the Jews to remove the Zoyama through their persecutions also caused the, the matzah to be there in the first place. Okay? Just, uh, you know, as an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Actually, the only idea we didn't really discuss was the concept of Pesach. Why do we call it Pesach, right? Nekom Pesach. And the truth is, the brief idea of, of Pesach is that it is m- what the Russian wanted them to do, and that's why he gave them Nekom Pesach. The word Pesach means to pass over. What happened is that the Mashchis, the, uh, the Sotan, passed over. That's where the word Passover comes. He passed over the Jews' houses. And what that indicates, of course, is that the Jews had removed the Zoyamah. That is why the Mashkis had no control. He could only kill somebody who had Zoyamer in them, which was the Egyptians. Jews who had succeeded in removing it, that evil influence, he couldn't touch. <clears throat> so therefore, that's also why we call Chaga Pesach, because it is the holiday of Passover, when we were in a state, such a state where the Mashkis, the Sultan, had no control over us. And uh, also the idea is that the Bansham gave us a Korban, because what the Russian wanted is not just that we, we should be removed from the Zoyamah, but he also wanted to pull us toward Kedusha. <clears throat> and what the Russian allowed us to do is eat a Korban in the state, in the pure state of not having Zoyamah. And that mitzvah of eating a Korban in the pure state of Zoyamah elevated the Jews tremendously into Kedusha. Now the Jews had left Tumor, the Klippa, the Zoyamah. <clears throat> but what Roshim wanted, he gave them a mitzvah that they could elevate themselves with a mitzvah into Kedusha. Because it's more than just Tahara, it's also to have Kedusha. But the Pesach could only be eaten by people who, that were pure, uh, that had no Zoyama. Anyway, basically that more or less sums up the ideas of Pesach and why we really celebrate Pesach. <clears throat> but uh, there's one more thing I wanted to deal with. And that is, why do we have to do these mitzvahs? It's true, we understand now that they represent, these mitzvahs represent 
uh, the entire true pneumistic story of Pesach, which we have gone through. But why do we have to do it? Is it merely a memory or not? Okay, this is the question. And the answer to that is the answer why we have to have all Yom Tovim. Okay? And the idea is this, that there are two events that Jews go through. One is called the primary historical event. In other words, why do we eat matzah and four cases and so on? Because we think it's because of a primary historical event, namely the incident of Pesach. The truth is that's not why. The real reason is not because of the historical event, but because of the spiritual event, which is masked in the historical event. What does that mean? The, the historical event that took place in Pesach was, of course, the redemption of a nation from bondage, from Egypt. The spiritual event that took place, which we now understand, is the fact that the Jews were able to take back the Kedusha from the Egyptians back to themselves. To, to destroy the Klippus or the Sutton, to destroy the Zoyama of the Sutton and take it back to themselves. That was the spiritual event. <clears throat> now, but what happened was that the Jews did not completely succeed because of the Cheto Ego. They did it partially. So what the Rebbeinu did is a Merdigzach, and this is the premise of all Yom Tovim. What God said is this, I'm going to allow that every time the time, the time period of Pesach, when it comes every year, that time period, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spiritually shine forth the same situation at that time. And if Jews do a certain thing, certain mitzvahs, which behaviorally conforms to an assumed reality of removing Zoyamah, then that itself will be an avoid to removing Zoyamah. What I am telling you is something which is very important. The avoid of the Seder and the avoid of the whole Pesach is not a remembrance. It is not a remembrance. It is an avoid that we ourselves remove the rest of the Zoyamah that the Jews did not do because of the Cheta Egom. But how do we do it? We're not in Egypt. The way we do it is that we observe mitzvahs which testify to the fact that Jews removed the Zoyama then. So what that does is actually remove some of the Zoyama. Because if you remember the principle of the Avodah is that behavioral conformity to an assumed reality establishes that reality. If I do not eat chametz and I eat matzah, I testify to the fact that Jews ate matzah and they removed the Zoyama, then I actually remove some of the Zoyama. That behavioral conformity toward the re assumed reality that Jews remove the Zoyamah actually removes part of the Zoyamah. We are oivade the way they were oivade. It is not a historical event. You have no idea how important this statement is. The secret of Yontif is that we are oivade. We do the same avoid that they did then during the, real, the, 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 the historical event, except we do it with mitzvahs which our behavioral conformity to what their accomplishment was. They did it with the historical event. We do it through the mitzvahs. But we, it's the same avoida. That is the avoida of Pesach. To remove the Zoyama, we actually remove the Zoyama. And that's why it says in the Agodah that, you, that every person should see himself as if he went out of Egypt. Why? Because we are doing the same avoida they did in Egypt. 
And that's why it says, which means to remove the zoyma, but we do it not through the historical event, we do it through the behavioral conformity toward the assumed reality, and we establish the reality. We do mitzvahs which indicate that we believe that they remove the zoyma, matzah, and kosis, and so on, and moral. Therefore, we actually, we have the koyach through those mitzvahs to actually remove the zoyma from, uh, from the sotan. And that's what the version was mezakas. But that can only happen at the time of Pesach. At that cycle. That's repeated, the annual cycle. Uh, that's repeated. Now, uh, and that, therefore that's why it says in the Agodum that Chayev Odom Lirois, we are obligated to see as if we went out of Egypt. Why? Because we are mamish doing the same avoid that they are. You know, that's the secret of Yontav. That's a sweet pnimia Pesach in all the Yom Except I'm mentioning it over here in terms of Pesach. And that is also why it says that every generation they try to wipe us out. But God saves us. Why? Because since we are in the Klippus, we are in the four Klippus, they had the four Klippus in one country, Egypt. But we are also doing the same thing. We are also trying to work against the Klippa. It's not like they had their avoid and we don't. We are involved in a contingency plan. They tried to remove the Zoyama by going to Egypt, and they did. But the Cheto Egel was mechalkal some of it. It restored some of it. We have to go through the four nations because that's our Avoida. The four kingdoms is another manifestation of the Klippa. Egypt was one manifestation. The four nations are another manifestation. Except in Egypt, they were all included in Egypt. and the four nations, they are separate. Each nation has the klipa represented by it separately. Therefore, the reason why in every generation they try to destroy us is because that's exactly where our void is. That we are in the klipa, the different existential states of evil, trying to undo those, uh, the power of that klipa. That is why it says that in the Agoda. Basically, uh, and this is very important because this is the practical understanding of what Pesach really is. Pesach is not a celebration of a historical event. It is a continuity, it's a continuation of the avoider of removing the Zoyma. Except they did it through the historical event itself. We do it through a schus that the Rabbi in that time period allows the same avoider, the same task to be performed. So if you conduct a seder, then we actually remove the Zoyama. And I will conclude by one interesting idea, and you will see that the entire Seder of Pesach is really the entire, uh, the entire uh, um, stages of creation. Now, I want to show you something very interesting. So we begin to see Pesach is really the entire purpose of creation. Because the purpose of creation is what? Is two ideas. Tahara, remove the influence of the Satan and Kedusha. Bring in the Kedusha back to us. That's the whole pur- 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 uh, purpose of creation. And that's what should have been. Mitzrayim was to remove the Zoyama and Shavuos, which is giving of the Torah, was to introduce the Kedusha. Two stages. And the truth is that the uh, order of the Seder is Muramah's that. Let's take a look at it. There are 15 statements that tell us the order of the Seder. Kadesh Uruchatz, Karpas, Yachatz, Magid, Rochzo, Moitzi Matzah, Moro, Korech, Shuchan, Aruch, Tzofen, Borech, Halel, Nilsa. Let's take a look. Kadesh. In the beginning there was a Kadesh Borchu. It's all Remez. Kadesh. In the beginning there was a Kadesh Borchu. 
there was the Rabbanishlam. Okay? Urchatz. The Rabbanishlam washed his hands of the Bria. He created symptom, means he concealed himself. When you wash when you wash your hands, what do you do? You ever see the expression, I want to wash my hands from this? Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, separate myself from separate myself from this. Urchatz. Kadesh in the beginning there was the Rabbanishlam, Hakodesh Bohu. Urchatz. He washed his hands from the Bria, in other words, he concealed himself so that man should have a task. Karpas, and he created Odom Rishon. And Karpas is really the word, the letters of Karpas is Samach 660 Porach. You know, it's Samach Porach really means 600,000, 60, 600,000 Porach labored because Odom Rishon had the Nishamas of all 600,000 Jews. So he created Karpas, Odom Rishon. But what happened to Odom Rishon? Yachat, instead of being Mesach in the Bria, Yachat, he broke the Bria. He was Mekalkalit. Right? And he introduced what? The Zoyamor. Right? So therefore, Magid. The only way, the only way now <coughs> that uh, Magid, that we can, you know, the way that we have now to remove the Zoyamor is Magid. We must, Magid, we have to be made Yehudoi. Declare the Aedis of God, that God is one. And then Rochsa, we will wash our hands from the Zoyama. Right? And what will be the result? Moitzi Matzah. We will establish Matzah. And what's Matzah? An individual without the Zoyama. But what happens if we don't do it? <clears throat> what happens if Jews don't Magid? They don't testify to God through Torah, which is through Haggadah, through speaking, right? Then Moro Koirech, I'm combining two. You will be bound to suffering. You're going to have to massacre the Bria through Yisurin. Okay? And, and, and then what's going to happen? Shulchan Oroch. You will then receive, in other words, if you remove the Zerma, you will receive Shulchan Oroch, or, uh, Oroch, right? Which, Oroch, which is the prepared table, which of course is Oilem Habo. Sofen. And that Shulchan Oroch is Sofen. It's concealed now. Because it's Eilim Haba. And what will be in Eilim Haba? Borech. You will be blessed. You will be in a state of being blessed. And what does it mean to be blessed? Halel. That in that state, you will be masig, you will comprehend God to such an extent, a such a state where you will praise Him. Because the praising is the response to the comprehension. And then Nirza, then creation has reached its intended purpose. It is totally acceptable. So therefore, we see that the order of the seder in, in Remez alludes alludes to the uh, to the entire tafkid, the entire purpose of man, the Torah, the kedusha, Oilam Habo, and in the end, Nirza, everything will be acceptable, and we shall be zeicher that this nisan should be a gula, and be zeicher to Mashiach, and that we should really remove all the zayma, and of course get out of the klipas in all their forms and myriad expressions. And be of course, to go to Mashiach, to Eretz Yisrael, Amen. Amen.